tomorrow morning. Um, well, if you know, if you saw our Wednesday update, that you know you've already heard about my summer nostalgia. You know what summer is for me. So growing up, I lived with that annual kid holiday calendar, right? That the, the high festivals of Christmas break, spring break, and summer vacation when we got sprung from the clink, and, and we had like the world, the world was just there for us. So now as, as a, a taller kid, I still try to hold on to that nostalgia a little bit. Uh, man, I think back to summer as, as a kid, uh, sports, trips, those orange push-ups from the Schwan Man, or if you, you weren't a, a Schwan Man type, I suppose maybe a bomb pop was more your jam. Uh, but, but those things, as well as like illegal fireworks that we'd get from Wyoming, um, and, and also fueling that American animal with burgers and dogs, man, I love summertime. It just was a time that, that, that life was like, like, life could be lived. You know, and then that crushing defeat of school in September would come and rob you of that. But we're not there. We are right now at the, the, the furthest time from when the kids have to go back to the clink. So we can celebrate. We can celebrate now with summertime. All kinds of things happen in the summer. One of them, though, was, was movies would come out. Do you remember when movies were good? And, and in the summertime, movies would come out. You could go and, and, and uh, you know, be in the air conditioning um, w- with your popcorn and watch some awesome hero movies. I have in my notes here... In, um, in bold letters, refrain from comments about Hollywood today. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to listen to that Jiminy Cricket uh, moment that I put in there at the beginning of last week and just move on. <laughs> I, I know myself. That's knowing yourself and, and preparing for what's coming. So um, anyway, we're going to tap into some summer nostalgia this year with the series that, it, that explores the heroes of the faith. But before we begin, I want to point out that that both of those words, uh, hero and faith, both of those words are problematic for me. I'm going to deal with the word hero in a bit, uh, but I want to work through the word faith for a moment because this is really the the focus of our summer together, this word faith. Now, when I was new to following Jesus, Christians were so difficult for me. Amen? No? No. Christians seem difficult for you? Um, Christians were, were so difficult for me because, man, the words that they used, the way that they talked, like, it just was, it felt so, like, I, I couldn't connect with it. I didn't understand. I didn't, and, and then it, I would feel the deficit from not being able to understand what they're talking about. The word faith was really a pain because everyone would, would point me towards it when I needed something. But it didn't feel like anybody really knew what it was or how to come about it when they were pointing me in that direction. Faith was the answer for everything. Every problem w- was met with just have faith or or this one even more frustrating just put your faith in jesus anybody ever told you that just have faith or just put your faith in jesus now i know that we mean well when we say that but as a new christian that was so hard for me to hear see both of those uh, 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 of those phrases they're good advice but it's frustrating if it's if we're not able to demonstrate what faith is, how faith grows, and what to, to really do when we lack faith in a moment that, that we need it. I mean, it, what really happens is that faith gets treated as a behavior to perfect or a product 
that, that comes from our work. Because when, when I'm here, well, just have faith. I start to think about all the things in me that, that keep me from being able to do that because it must be a problem with me. That frustration of not being able to have faith, not being able to walk in faith, not being able to give my faith, not be like, I, I, where do you get it? And then how do you give it? So there's some kind of a transaction here happening and, and this just leads to frustration. And that frustration would lead to shame. I'd be so aware of how inadequate I was as a follower of Jesus because this faith thing just escaped me. What we're going to see this summer is that faith is not a product of our work. It's not tied to behavior. Faith is a product of participation. It's a product of a relationship with the living God. That, that's a journey of knowing him and being known by him that leads us to being known by our community and knowing our community. When we see God act, his character emerges. That's true of all of us, right? When we act, our character emerges. So when we see God act, we see his character, we see who he truly is. And when that, when that happens, faith is a result. Now also, with that, we've been spending a lot of time this year focusing on a couple of realities that I just want to bring back up as a starting place for us today. The first reality that we've been working through is that, that God is real and that the reality of God is manifest in an invitation to experience him. From the series that we started at the beginning of the new year that ran all the way through Holy Week and Adventing Pentecost, this really has been the focus to, to acknowledge the fact that God is real and there's an invitation to experience this real God. We can suffice it to say that as we begin this journey together, we're facing the reality that God sees us, which means that God sees you. God knows us, which means that God knows you. And that the presence of this God is not a far-off goal to achieve through being good. It's here. It's now. And it's waiting to be experienced. So if you, right now, if you today, if you're coming here and you feel chaos, if you're empty, if the walls are closing in, There's a filling available. There's a filling into those places. There's a force to push back. There's order to answer the chaos. All of that is true because God is real and he sees you. So, if you let me get through this message, we'll have a time where we can prove that that's true. But we got some work to do to lay a foundation for where we're going this summer. We are in our summer of heroes, and it is summertime, and I love, I don't know if you've, if I mentioned that, I love summertime. I like to go through a series every summer that accomplishes a couple of goals. One is that it's easy to follow, because as summertime rolls on, we know that we're going to drop in and out as we recreate, as we take vacations, as all these things happen. So we want to have something that's easy to come back to, to kind of pick up, so we, we're like, man, I missed last week, so I might, might as well just not go the rest of the summer, because... 
I'm, I'm not sure where they are. Um, it allows us to kind of drop in and drop out seamlessly um, because you don't have to have that fear of missing out. It, we're going to come back and, and we're going to be able to, to pick it right back up. Um, part of summertime is recreation, and that's really important. Worshiping together, though, also has to be a high priority. And so coming together and being together as the body of Christ, God's activity on this earth, it's a high calling and, a, and of high importance. And so a part of that also is re restorative cycles. This summer where we take breaks, we have to be able to do a series that we can take a break and we can pick back up and we can all stay together. So no matter where we are, we are all, we're always still the vineyard. So that's one of, of the goals for the summer series is that we do here at the Vineyard. The next is that every summer I try to go through the entire Bible. Um, it's, it's something that, that uh, you know, uh, it just, that's just a small goal, just to get through the whole Bible in a summertime, right? But, but what we try to do is, is we try to go through the, the entire Bible on our Sunday mornings together because in these pages is the unstoppable narrative of God's unrelenting plan to reconcile with his creation. I love that. This meta-narrative is captured in, in, in this book, in this written, the written word of God. We have Jesus as the incarnate word of God, and then in this written word of God, we have his plan, the inbreaking of his kingdom, one narrative, one plan that drives to completion. All of this demonstrates the redeeming work of Jesus. All of this is about him and through him. And so spending the summertime going through these stories that all point back to the cross is just, I, I can't think of a better way to spend our family summertime together. Now, you've likely heard us talk about the meta-narrative meta of Scripture. We talk about that a lot. And, and what we really mean by that is that Scripture is one story, one big story, the thread of, of the activity of God interacting with his creation. That's all we mean by that. There is an historical flow that begins with, with the ex nihilo creation narrative that God created everything out of nothing, and it runs through the, the revealing of the times to come. And all of that is captured in this book. And so we try to go through from beginning to end in some way, shape, or form. So all of that brings us now to our summer of heroes. That's kind of why we're doing what we're doing. Now let's talk about what we're actually going to do. We're going we're gonna to slow walk through chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. We're going to use this chapter as a vehicle to tour the, the participation of God in his creation. Now, one reality that stands out right away is, is that God created, but then motivated by love, love for what he created, he wants to be a participant, and he invites his creation into participation. For a God, that's pretty cool. God doesn't need our participation but he wants it, he invites it, and he invites us into his continuing narrative. He invites us into his unfolding plan. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews is, com is communicating to the original hearers and also the current readers an encouragement to hold fast to their faith and not lose hope that the sacrificial, of Je sacrificial gift of Jesus is evidence that God will fulfill all of his promises. It's kind of the basic message that we get in the whole book of Hebrews. To accomplish this, though, to bring this forward, 
to bring this encouragement out, the author dives into the history of God's interaction with the nation of Israel to make the point that God is who he says that he is, and he does the things that he says that, that, that he will do. Now, many folks have argued over who the author of Hebrews might be. I like James Moffat, a Bible translator and scholar from the previous century. I like the way that, that he addresses this. He says uh, the attempt to name an author of Hebrews is, in the main, due to an irresponsible de desire to construct a New Testament romances. I like that a lot, because his point is that the message is not— the message in Hebrews is of such importance that we can't get bogged down questioning things that, that we'll never be able to answer. It's just foolishness. And so um, asking that, you know, the, the question of authorship of the book of Hebrews doesn't matter. The message is here, and this is what we're going to explore together. The message is important for us today. This encouragement, this calling out of our history is important for us as we try to get a grasp of this idea of faith. Another reason this message is important for us today is that because like every other era in the history of the church, we have the realities of life and pressures of culture that are bearing down on us, and it can lead us to question the presence and the reality of God. I feel like that could be an amen moment. You know what I mean? Like th this is, it, it, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, the temptation is to, to think that maybe things are worse for us now than they ever were. The reality is that every era of history in the history of the church, we've had the, the reality of life and the pressure of culture. But we know that we join the rest of the era, uh, eras of history with the pressure of life and the, the, uh, the culture that bears down. So Hebrew, Hebrews 11 offers encouragement by presenting the stories of what some have called the heroes of the faith men and women that really lived, real people, truly lived. They really were alive. They really were on this earth, and they really navigated the reality of life where they had to trust God. The title Hero of the Faith, like I've said before, hero can be problematic, especially if you're a dude like me. The word hero is something that, that kids from my era were, were indoctrinated with uh, from, from our youngest days, um, from the cartoons we watched after school and on Saturday mornings, through the movies that, that played in the summertime, that the idea of a hero was in front of us all the time. And then we would go outside and, and emulate it. We would try to be it. We would try to do all of those things. Uh, but most of the outside playtime, most of our, our attempt to, to reenact the heroic was imagining some sort of reality where we saw ourselves in those stories. So we could call this like, like prehistoric main character syndrome. And, and this, it, it created, at least for me, a false dichotomy of what a hero truly is. The, the, the dictionary tells us that a hero is a person who displays courage in the midst of adversity and is held in high esteem by the community. But the cultural intrusion of this definition can create the image of a person that's infallible, a person that's superhuman, or a person not held in high esteem but worshipped by the community. So when we would play at being heroes, it was less about service to a community and more about feats that would bring me glory in the neighborhood. The heroes that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 did display some courage. They did face adversity. 
and evidenced by the fact that we're talking about them centuries, thousands of years after they died, it shows that they were held in high esteem. And so they fit this definition of hero. But these men and women weren't super. They were not extraordinary. The idea that, that earning the title hero sort of sets them apart from us, it really doesn't hold up when we take a wide-angle view of, of the entirety of their life. Now, I'm not hero-bashing in this moment. I'm just wanting to examine the reality of these heroes that we're going to be looking at as, as we go through the summer together. The heroic act really has little to do with their own abilities to do or not do. The heroic act that we will see come time and time again as we go through this series together is that at a point in time in their life, they faced adversity, and in that adversity, they trusted God to be God. They, they trusted God to be God. But we also have to understand that before they got to that point, and sometimes after they got to that point, they failed to do this. The point isn't our work. The point is that through trusting God, we see his character emerge. One, uh, one uh, story, the story of a dad that resonates with me, shows that we also have a God that understands our struggles as it, as it relates to faith. It also it shows how much God knows us. It shows how much God knows me personally in, in reading this story. This, this is a story of a dad, his young son, tormented by demons, evil spirits that, that would overtake this little boy, uh, that would, would lead him to like jump into water to try to drown himself. He'd jump into fire trying to kill him. Um, th this, these demons left him unable to speak. Um, faced with this spiritual adversity, the boy's father takes him to the disciples the followers of Jesus. He takes them to the followers of Jesus asking for help. The disciples are unable to help. So finally, he finds himself in front of Jesus. Mark chapter 9, 21 through 24 says this. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. You can see the heart of the Father coming out in this. Help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Anything's possible if a person has faith. The Father instantly cried out and gave me the prayer that I pray so often. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, the, the reality for me is that, that I do believe that God is who, who he says that he is. I believe that God does what he says he's going to do. I believe that God did all the stuff he said that he did. I believe that. But when adversity comes, man, I need help overcoming my unbelief. This acknowledgement is an entry point for us as we start our summer together. It's an entry point for faith as we participate with God. Faith is something I'm still in process of gaining an understanding for. 
it's still it's still at times seems nebulous i like this is one thing i look at our cross right now and how we we are um what's on the cross the symbology here we've got the the green which signifies where we are in the calendar right now we're in the ordinary time which means that we've kind of we've gone through the holidays after pentecost and so green is kind of the color for the church as we move towards advent that's coming um you know we well i won't talk about christmas yet we're still in the summertime but i'm tempted I'm tempted. Another Jiminy Cricket moment, I guess. Um, but anyway, we've got green for the ordinary time, and then we've got white that, that we kind of put up there, that white is, is a color for faith. And so I'm, I was looking at that this morning, and I'm like, faith in the ordinary time. That's easy. I, can, I nail that. I am so good. If you, if you ever want to uh, get an example of faith in the ordinary time, you are free to follow me around for an ordinary day. I, like, I will knock it out of the park. But then adversity. The ordinary time goes. Does faith stay? That's my struggle, and that's why when I see the story, when I see this, this, this father just torn apart for, for the, the, what, his, what his son is going through, and he says to Jesus, I do believe, but Lord, help me with my unbelief. The stories that we're going to go through this summer in Hebrews 11 show how ordinary people found faith. How God answers the prayer to help us overcome our unbelief. Before we set off and look at, at all of these heroes one by one, we need a foundation for that heroic act. We need to, to ask what faith is. We need to, to, to see how, how is faith generated? How is it maintained? How do we apply it like the heroes that we're about to see? And anticipating this question, the author of Hebrews provides us with this. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we, what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. I love how the, the author of Hebrews takes us all the way back to creation taking us back to creation and saying faith is not about ritual. Faith is not about religion. Faith is not about behavior. Faith is knowing that the God that created, the God that did all of the work up to this point, the God will do all of the work in everything that we see in the meta-narrative of Scripture. Faith is just knowing that this is true. We see that faith begins with creation, which means for us it begins with knowing God, not knowing about God. Anybody ever come to a realization that I don't know God, but I know about God? That was an impactful moment in my life. I knew about God. I didn't know him. We can't find faith without knowing God, which means that faith is predicated on relationship. Faith is a product of participation because relationships are mutual participation. God's character becomes the basis of faith, and knowing who he is comes from exploring what Scripture has to say about him and then engaging him in an interpersonal relationship. The real God that we can really experience. This is the basis of faith. What, show, what, what comes from that as we look, as we engage with Scripture and experience is that the faithfulness of God is shown in his perfect loyalty 
and consistency in being true to his name. He's true to his name, he's true to his character, and he's true to his word. God's faithfulness is an in integral part of his nature. In Numbers chapter 23, we see God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? Paul, writing in 2 Timothy, says, If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. That verse right there might be an answer to a question that somebody in this room has. What happens when we're not faithful to God? He remains faithful. And the reason that he remains faithful is he can't deny who he is. God's faithfulness is also known through the fulfillment of the promises that he makes. Joshua chapter 23. We see, soon, soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. And then in 1 Kings chapter 8. Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. Now the problem that arises for me is that I can hear all of that. I can hear the presentation of history. I can acknowledge everything that we just read together is true. But my brokenness, the product of, of the fragmented life that, that I've walked, it leads me to ask this question. I know that's real, but is it real for me? Are those promises for me? Are you talking about me? Are you talking past me? Are you talking about another group? I know who I am, and I know how unworthy I am of, of all of this. How can a broken, sinful person really reasonably expect to have these promises apply to them? Being aware of how unworthy I am, how can I really expect that this would be true for me? My life is a fragmented life. I am fragmented by experience. I'm, I'm fragmented by conflict. I'm fragmented by relationships. I'm fragmented by pain that I've caused. And I'm also fragmented by pain that I've endured. We also know that the very essence of broken relation, relationships is captured by the word sin. And so my fragmentation points out my sinful nature. The answer for sin, the entry point from the fragmented life, the entry point for the fragmented life to become whole is the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial death that he submitted to in order to open up a path of reconciliation. So this means that my unworthiness is not a disqualification, but a qualification for the atonement of Jesus. Jesus responding to my fragmentation by bringing it to, to the cross and accepting the sacrifice of Jesus 
this becoming my invitation to relationship with the living God. The basis for faith being God's character is demonstrated by the entry point to my fragmented life. What I've been and what I've done becomes what he did for me. So the people we find this summer together lived in a similar, similar reality to me, a similar reality to all of us, but with an important difference. The important difference that, that we have that they don't is we have the reality of Jesus, and, and what they had was the promise of Jesus coming as we go through these Old Testament scriptures together. The work of Jesus was yet another promise of God that, that required faith to accept at faith value, and they were or at face value, and they were able to accept that promise. Another similarity, each of these heroes of the faith were confronted with the tension of their own brokenness. And so they've got the promises of God and they've got their own brokenness. But in the midst of their own brokenness and the promises of God, they found the completeness of Jesus. Some interacted with this well and some struggled. Some struggled for a really long time and just got it right once. And that was enough. Thank God for that. But the only way I know to see the struggle of a fragmented life end is through faith in knowing that God is who he says he is. Knowing God rather than knowing about God. When we know God, we experience him. When we place our hope in him, when we're filled by his spirit, we see things about him and, and who he is, we see how he interacts with, with the world that demonstrates his faithfulness. William Barclay says that, that faith in God is a belief of God against the world. Faith in God is a belief in God against the world. What he means by that is that, that we are, we're, to follow, we're not to follow the world's standards of selfish competition. If we are to follow the standard of the world in this selfish competition, we might find a path of ease and comfort. We might find ease and comfort by following a path of the world. Following God's standard, though, will likely lead to pain and loss, alienation and unpopularity, is the uplifting part of the message this morning. Following God's standard and following the world's standard, the choices we have, potential ease and comfort, Guaranteed loss, pain, alienation, unpopularity. In the face of all of this, the follower of Jesus recognizes that it's better to suffer with God than to prosper with the world. The rewards of the earth pale in comparison to the reality of reconciliation with God. Faith is understanding that the things that we, that we can see, all of the things that we can see, have emerged from the things that we cannot see. And because this is true, our faith is better to be placed in the things that we can't see. This means that faith must be a belief in the spirit rather than a belief in the senses. The senses tell us that, that the reality is found in what we can see, taste, hear, and, and, and for our culture also in the things that we enjoy and gratification. Senses compel us to grasp the moment 
to seize the experience. But the Spirit says that there's something beyond gratification. Far beyond what the senses can deliver, the Spirit beckons us to something else. The, exten- the extension of, of, of Spirit Spirit rather than senses is the belief in the future against the present. So we have God against the world. We have spirit against senses. Now we have future against the present. This means that that long-term benefit is always better than short-term gain. This was a blessing that I received in, in my mentorship from our founding pastor. This is something that Alan Hodges says often, um, Long-term benefit is always better than short-term gain. That endurance through pain, endurance through trial, always leads to the victory promised, always leads us to victory that's already been won. Short-term gain is only advantageous if the future is in doubt. But for followers of Jesus, faith means that we know that the future is never in doubt. We know that the end of the story has already been written. The meta-narrative of Scripture testifies to the reality of certain victory. It's pretty cool to be on the winning team. This is the reality that helps us in our unbelief. Even when our circumstances look bleak, when our senses tell us that that there's trouble, We have a relationship to fall back upon. We have a relationship where we can find rest. Paul explained it to the church in Rome in this way. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is pretty dang cool. That's it right there. Our basis for faith is found in in those words. We can hold to that. But more than being able to hold to that, we can ask God to prove it. The heroes of the faith were heroes because they passed their brokenness through the promises of God. They participated with God, and as a product of that participation, they came to know him and know his character. The weighty felt presence of God, the glory, the experience of God, all of this becomes the new reality of faith. And it allows us to pray this in the psalm. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me, and and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saves me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from the sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. The legacy of the heroes of the faith we find in this prayer is passed on to us. And we are able to pray this with them. We're not setting them apart as extraordinary beings. We will see that faith is possible even for the most broken people. A product of participation with the living God. And so as we turn back to worship this morning, we're also going to turn to our time of participation. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward as well. And as we're getting all of this stuff ready, would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit. Father, would you release the gifts of your spirit here? Father, I pray that that you would come now and connect us to these these stories. I pray, Father, that you would also bring to us our own struggles with faith. I pray, Father, for all of us that that just like this, this Father resonate with this, Lord, I believe, but help me in this unbelief. I pray, Father, would you hear that prayer and would you meet us in it? Father, I pray that that for all of those that that have not participated with you, have not seen you as a God that wants that, that participation, I pray that you would come against the lies of the enemy now in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you would replace that with a beckoning towards your love. So Father, we pray for your activity now.
and Vineyard family as we turn back to worship together. I'd invite you to come forward for prayer if you feel um, if you feel ready and, and able. And if there's people that, that are, are being prayed for, you can just come up and we'll get to, to everybody that, that, is, uh, that, that, that wants to be prayed for. But this is where we get to participate. This is where we, we get to be active. This is where we get to see the, the living God invade the places of chaos and fragmentation. If you are struggling with faith, even if you just, if, you, if you're in the same place as me where you believe, but, but you are asking for the Lord to help you in your unbelief, I'd invite you forward to, to, to pray. If you feel that your unworthiness has, has created a situation where that participation invitation is not for you, I'd invite you to come and get prayer for that. If you need to feel the presence of the living God this morning, come forward for prayer. And as we worship together and minister to each other, we'll see the activity of the living God with us and know that through his faithfulness to us, we can have faith in him.